welcome um, to our community meeting this evening. Uh, we've got uh, our normal folk. We've got Dan, Alex, and Dave. Um, and uh, I'm going to give it over to Dave uh, first thing for a change of pace and uh, let him talk about the ACT meeting. We just shouldn't need to talk about it because everybody watched it and tuned in live and memorized the whole thing, right? <laughs> oh, well, maybe those of you who didn't have to work. <laughs> I watched it during class. Oh, did you really? Oh, yeah, I watched it while working. <laughs> All right, Dave, so Excellent. off to you, sir. And I welcome any interruptions and any questions. A, uh, um, the net of uh, what was, uh, it was just, I guess, about two and a half hours, so they kept it... Uh, reasonably brief uh, for federal meetings. Uh, there was feed, feedback uh, on the uh, TG-11, which was uh, a safety, uh, a target level of safety feedback. And basically the, uh, the message was that this is an interim response from the FAA to back to the uh, AAAC. Um, uh, we presented uh, the report with I think it was 12 recommendations. And what the FAA did say is they accepted all but one. However, there's a big level of uh, caveats on they want to wait uh, for the Beyond Visual Line of Sight Aviation Rulemaking Committee to time out, which is supposed to time out on March 4. And then they want to vet the information on the BB Loss Arc, and then they'll be able to consider uh the totality of the tg11 uh, feedback so this uh, this was a moment for me spending 40 years in industry the way that would have worked where where i come from is the faa has been privy to everything that's going on they are joint chairs with the bv loss arc so they know exactly they have the they have the current report and sure it's you know they're there are little changes now, but it's it's really getting down to minor edits. So they have the document. So one would think that they could have spent the last couple months looking at the TG11 output, going, "Hmm, we should be um, we should be talking about this." And a number of the people on the Beyond Visual Line of Sight uh, arc are also working on the various tasking groups, like like me. I worked on the BV Loss Arc, so did Dan, thank you. Uh, and uh, we're also on TG11. So just you know, the way our federal government works, the, uh, the good news is that the responses that uh, we're getting back from the FAA are thoughtful, uh, they are comprehensive, and so they're, they're not blowing us off, and that, that's re a real positive. That's uh, we then had questions, comments? Oh, I just said that was good to hear, sorry. Oh, no problem. So the, so then the next uh, point they brought up was uh, TG12. Uh, this was tasking group 12. This was the in, um, integration of aviation-specific STEM into uh, the education of uh, the United States, K through 12. So one of the points that uh, we made in the uh, report that we wrote up that's critically important is the federal government does not have much control over what happens in K through 12. So I found a Department of Education program that the they worked with NSA, created a brilliant program to effectively open source uh, a curricula plus teachers curricula and, and send it out to uh, those uh, organizations and companies that make content uh, for schools. And the, uh, the way it would work is uh, because the federal government would let an RFI, it would then become public domain. So these content providers could pick up this program, it's called CyberNet, and they can uh, start from uh, farther down the road with uh, content that's well-developed and then augment it. And the idea is to increase the number of teachers capable of teaching um, cybersecurity in our K through 12 programs. And so it's eight through 12, pardon me. So my prop, my recommendation in, K in the uh, TG-12 was recommendation number nine, which was we should do the same thing in the FAA. We've got precedent, which is a lot as uh, in the federal government. We've got the Department of Education that was very willing to work with the FAA on this. So 
uh, that's happily one of the thing one of the um, it's w one of the recommendations that Brian Wynn uh, went into uh, some detail as he was uh, presenting it. Um, if if you're into um, any uh, STEM education programs like that, it's about a 15 page written report. It's worth scanning and the ebook. Um, the slides are uh, very net net, so you, they're they need a uh, the need they need the report behind it to uh, give you a little bit of color as to what's going on. That uh, seems like was... that's pretty much true for the entire ebook. Is that it gives you a hint, but unless you were there, like you really don't know. And that's the way the whole meeting goes too. Like the whole meeting is people talking about stuff that's not necessarily public that the rest of the people watching don't really have the background to fully comprehend what's going on. Yeah, that's that's well said, because if you think about each of these tasking groups, they're like a, a term paper written by a, a, a collaborative team across three months. And there's some really great people uh, that we have access to. Uh, so we've got uh, industry, industry associations, academia, uh, uh, law enforcement, uh, uh, aviation associations, manufacturers, etc. And uh, uh, it's a pretty good brain trust. And so it gets deep in a, in a, in a hurry. So I, I agree, Dan, you need to read the report. And the, um, the other thing that I'm having been at this for three years with the DAC now ACK is uh, the, uh, it's unfair to, to describe uh, or it's it's pejorative to describe the presentation as a rubber stamp, but it's a rubber stamp. I mean, it's a formality and an opportunity to say uh, thank you, uh, but the work's been done and it's all been vetted with the FAA before uh, the final presentation. That that literally is like a third of the meeting is people saying thank you and patting each thank other you. on the back. Thank you. Thank you. That was great. We worked so hard. It gets so yeah, it gets, sort of it gets tiring. Little, it gets, gets tiresome. It, it really does. Yeah, but as as I've come to see, that is absolutely it's the way they work. One of these every FAA meeting I've been in that they're like that. But it's better that than the than the opposite. <laughs> I do wish so, that ebook would have been a little more informative because it really was just nothing. <laughs> just very empty. Which which, which the, the one with all the slides, particularly like the, oh. the beyond visual line of sight one, was just that single slide. Oh. A slide. Well, <laughs> that's, not that's that the get. actual meeting had any more meat to it than that. But yeah, this, I mean, the, the slide and the meeting were basically the same thing as far as we were concerned <laughs> on that topic. The real, the really good point, and this, you know, the, I, I'm slowly learning what to listen for. Um, since we started the BV loss um, arc, I've been asking the question of Jay Merkel. Are we going to be able to publish this document from the FAA out to the public once we're done? And first, the first answer was, we're not sure. And then the answer was, we're pretty sure. And then today you heard it confirmed that Jay said, we will be getting this document out. So that, that's, it's about, it's over 224 pages now. It's uh, really there's some sections that are really worth reading. And so we'll, when we, when it is released, we'll, you know, we'll go over it. Then there are probably 50, 60 pages that are really valuable and, and really important to us. And so, yes, the BB loss arc is focused on commercial, but it's still really important to us. We think there will be a lot of knock on benefit to uh, recreational. So, so Dave, I got a question for you. Yeah. So, you know, in your in your three years of, of working with the DAC, um, has your impression of the FAA's ability or desire to work with the general public changed in terms of regulations and, and whatnot? I think it has. I think there was a um, there was a, a step function change. Um, with the remote ID uh, NPRM, I think it really set them back on their heels to get 53,000 comments. And from that point on, there was a really different view from the perspective of, ooh, you know, we really should be listening uh, to the public. And so, yeah, I, and I think that that has improved. The other thing is that I mean, these are bright 
Bright folks and their Maze Bright, right? So they now have a Secretary of uh, Transportation and Secretary Buttigieg, and there is a big push on societal benefits. So the uh, Beyond Visual Line of Sight arc spent a lot of energy and uh, solicited and got people uh, who are, you know, who you wouldn't have thought would have been invited into the Beyond Visual Line of Sight. Notably, people who were privacy experts and um, some of them were associations and some of them were um, organizers. And, and so, um, good, you know, so good for them from, you know, it, it made, you know, frankly, you know, that made it, you know, the discussions really difficult at times because some of the privacy experts knew nothing about aviation or aviation regulations. But the FAA painstakingly, you know, listened to that. Um, the BV loss arc had a huge focus on noise, which I think was intelligent. And you heard about that today in discussions about the a um, advanced air mobility uh, and about the worry that noise will likely be one of the leading uh, inhibitors of uh, air taxis and things like that. And I think that's also on target. So both of those, you know, at, you know, all of those points to me speak to a, an increase in interest of listening to the public. And, and that's, that's really positive. And, and, and we'll put a plug for ourselves here. <laughs> There's a new organization um, well, it's it's if you it's been recast, and so the UAS safety team uh, was running for several years, and then it went quiet for about a year, and now it's been renamed, and we have uh, two new co-chairs, uh, Peter Dumont, and then from the FAA, Joe Mora, and the FPV Freedom Coalition is one of the organizations that's been accepted, and so it only took us. Uh, a year to do uh, of repeated uh, pestering and applications, but uh, we're part of that. And I, I mention that because we saw last June where the DAC uh, vectored off TG10 to uh, the drone safety team. That said, the drone safety team is now considering whether they should accept this action item from the FAA and the and the ARC or the yeah the AC. So. <laughs> so it's like okay no oh, and the the drone safety team is a, a public private partnership i i have to find out what the structure is but but a positive from the perspective of and yet another effort to listen to uh, uh to the public to the industry to academia to very the various stakeholders in aviation I would have to agree with what Dave's saying. And the more we work with the FAA, <clears throat> the more it feels like there's at least some employees there who definitely want to talk to us, definitely want to help, want to make things better. But then the more you learn, the more you sort of figure out, well, they really get their direction from Congress. They really are in a tough spot between Congress and the Department of Defense and the Department of Homeland Safety and all these other conflicting things. And they're just put into a really tough spot and we don't get to see a lot of that behind the scenes stuff. Right. And, and so as the um we we remember it was um July 6th, 2016 when Laura Stubblefield presented to Congress which then became the 2018 Reauthorization Act. And so she set up all of the uh, the challenges that we were, that we were facing in the uh, the authorization act that came out, and so now we have twenty twenty this year twenty twenty two is the year where uh, uh, the Congress will be writing you know Congress quote will be writing the reauthorization act, and so we will have an opportunity I'm sure to uh, advocate for that both with the FAA as well as our congressional representatives. Not Absolutely. as not as lobbyists, but it, because we're a five hundred one c three, not a five hundred one c six. But uh, as uh, uh, we will be able to do limited discussions with uh, Congress, and will as uh, citizens, we're able to uh, to do that. Mm -hmm. um, next up on the uh, on the uh, ACK this uh, this afternoon was 
PG-13, which is the uh, new tasking. And so, um, as you may have heard from the, the last, uh, the name change uh, incorporates air mobility. And so there is a uh, yet another white paper that the FAA has written, and they want uh, feedback on that. So uh, this was uh, the essence of TG-11. Uh, this is hard because, uh, you know, when they hand us a 15, 20-page uh, white paper, uh, you know, we first have to tear it apart, you know, uh, just you know, page by page by page or paragraph by paragraph, and then, you know, try to all then step back and look at it and, uh, and consider, you know, what areas are, are missing, etc. And I assume so, just like the tasking group 11 that this paper won't be made public. Except maybe if you read between the lines of the report that's given to the FAA, you'll be able to figure out what was mostly in it. That's going to be my bet as well. It was it was you know conspicuous in its absence today, and so I think you're right on target, Dan. That's <laughs> that's exactly my bet. Uh, next uh, act meeting uh, June. Oh, and also the uh, the other aspect was uh, vacancies. So uh, we've we've talked about that uh, I have submitted uh, a, a second application. It was due January 10, 2022. Uh, so January 10 to February 23, not nearly enough time to uh, process an application. Um, a little tongue in cheek, but uh, uh, <laughs> that that is what we saw today. Is that the uh, we heard that there were 150 applications. And the process is moving along nicely, and the uh, uh, the FAA uh, is an anticipates that the Department of Transportation uh, will uh, approve the recommendations soon. So, as I was discussing with my wife, soon in the federal government usually means this year. So, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I had in my notes we'll there. See. They're selecting new members and sending them to the Secretary of Transportation, so they may have already selected them, and they're kind of yes. waiting to hear back yeah, for, uh, on approval. The, that was my bet, too. With no you know, other than the words they were using, that that was the sense I got yeah. as well, and Dan. I'm, I'm guessing, Dave, if you don't make it on the DAC or the, the ACK this time, it could have something to do with they have enough people that are like you already on the DAC, <laughs> since they were talking about diversity and inclusion. <laughs> I, Sorry, I'm unique. I, I think know, it's the I, old guy factor. He, he's got too much hair, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I gotta update my application. There you I'm go. Young. Oh, your oh, hair is not great yet. The age range by like a lot. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. Well, so yeah, that'll be uh, disappointing if we miss out again. But uh, we'll just keep at it because uh, this is working, and uh, we are definitely making a difference. Uh, our uh, impact on TG12 was uh, absolutely material. Uh, Alex was uh, working on that uh, tasking group. Um, uh, I wrote a lot of the paper and did a fair amount of the presentation. So we, FBVFC, are making a difference in what's getting submitted to the FAA. So Alex, thank you for your work on that. See, so I'll just more adulation and thank yous. <laughs> Pat yourself on the back. <laughs> but we, yeah, that's right. No, but we really are making a difference. And I think the approach is working and we're recognized across the act uh, as serious, polite, professional, productive, just like we respond to our NPRMs. I think, let's see, and I think that's, I think that was the top, were any other agenda items that I um, missed? From... I don't think you missed any important agenda items. They, my other notes talk about, um, Jay mentioned there was over 200,000 completed trust uh, people, or he, he mentioned tokens because you, you can't be sure that each token was a person, but roughly 200,000 people probably took the trust and um, yeah, I think I think they're missing it. Yeah, so Denny <laughs> says, well, that that means that there are about two hundred thousand people in commercial. So that means we're yep. talking about four hundred. This is like, stop. Their own documents, the FAA administrators' fact book states that by their estimates, there are one point two million recreational operators. There are an additional five hundred thousand par, uh, part one hundred seven and other. You know, and then and that doesn't count the the more exotic, uh, you know, greater than 55 pounds. 
Uh, I guess that's 135, uh, I think, Alex. Uh, um, well, it depends what you're flying under, because you can do over 55 recreationally. Uh, right, with a waiver. Yep. Plus, I would challenge, so, you know, the, the reach of the message of the trust. Um, while it's been strong, I would challenge that not everybody who flies drones knows about it, yeah, one. Right. And number two, um, after the first kind of expiration of uh, drone registration or uh, pilot registration for recreational, um, how many people remember to renew, remember to, to go through those steps, you know, so on and so forth. So has the message reached everyone it needs to? Probably not. Are there people flying without the trust? Yeah. Probably, probably um, not. Yeah, I would. I would now, venture to guess that's true. Now, th this was an aspect that uh, I was. Um, I felt they missed a trick um, in providing some sunshine and accolades to people who deserved it. And with the trust, uh, Pilot Institute is far and away the uh, the leading uh, provider of trust. And you know the, that's you know if, as you look at our uh, website, that's who we recommend. We know Greg. Greg is a huge supporter of recreational uh, drone drone uh, enthusiasts. A, a good man, good company, and the, his product is you know, is excellent. So and Flight Test recommends and, them. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So good outfit, and that's you know they had had an opportunity to say you know we really want to you know shout out to pilot and institute our leading uh, trust provider but they they missed that the other one is that they talk up one million uh, lance approvals and they missed the opportunity to say you know with the people who are bring you lance notably the people who wrote before you fly is a loft and so you know for us you know, we recommend when someone says, well, should I use a Lance app? We're like, yeah, you should use a Lance app. If you're in controlled <laughs> airspace, you have to. Right. And, well, what should I use? We say Aloft. Uh, mm. Again, the product is free for recreational uh, pilots, uh, and the company is, is fantastic, and their uh, CEO, John Hagrains, is a big supporter, and it's free for us in a recreational and John Hagrains is also an advisory board member of the drone safety team. So a lot of these, you know, you're starting to see, we know the people, they know us, and they're, you know, so it's, uh, it's working and uh, a good, good set of products. But that's... And I do want to say, you know, we're not sponsored by any of these guys. We're not getting money from any of these guys. Um, but, uh, you know, it's the fact that we use their, their products. Um, I did my trust at Pilot Institute. Um, and um, I would utilize them, you know, going forward. And same thing with, I mean, I use Aloft um, when I go out and fly for Lance. So I'm used to, I'm, I like it. I'm used to it. Um, they make a, you know, I've never had an issue with it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there's other, there's other providers out there for all those things, but you know, it, it's important that it's a trusted source. So let's right. see. Yeah, they're helping. Any, anything um, else in your notes? On my notes, uh, we already sort of touched on this. The membership was expanded from 35 to 41. So there's like six open positions for those 150 people who ap uh, right. applied. Um, I'm going to assume a lot of those will have to be air mobility related people, even though there are a few on the DAC or AC already. But I mean, <laughs> Why go the, to the trouble of renaming themselves, repurposing, make a bunch of vacancies if they're not going to fill them with this new purpose? Yeah, uh, the community advocate. Yep, and that was the other yeah. part is they added a community advocate, which he said was to provide insight and expertise to the increased drone and AAM traffic in communities. So basically, oh yeah, we know drones and AAM are going to be noisy and communities aren't going to like them. Who can we throw on here to, to represent that? Yeah, that sounded like a, a privacy uh, specialist. That's what, you know, uh, <clears throat> thinking of the uh, attendance. So if you know, if I get passed over on this uh, tranche of uh, additions, I won't be surprised. I'm um, with you, Dan, that they have to. I mean, they made a big deal out of changing the name, adding vacancies, so they they can't simply, oh, yeah, we'll just you know swap right. in a couple of oh, these folks. And that was one topic, I guess, of the entire meeting that you jumped over was that uh, the LADOT gave a presentation on air mobility stuff and their plans for air yeah. uh, so, vert vertiports so, and air taxis and all that kind of stuff. Right. 
to the FAA airspace. So yes, that was the point that. Uh, so, um, Salida, who is an AAAC member, presented. You look in your ebook, and I'm following along with the pages. And then she says, "And here's my next steps and recommendations." And you notice how that slide stayed up for only a couple of seconds, and then it was quickly taken down. And then Jay Merkel said, um, you know, we have to talk to the other, um, you know, other organizations in the FAA and there are other agencies involved. So that, uh, Alex, you're, you're on exactly the point I was going to bring up is that there looked to be that the L.A. Department of Transportation was trying to stake a claim to Matt. Oh, oh, no. Oh, no. Yep. oh, no. Somebody, somebody got him. <laughs> They're on to him. <laughs> Well, hopefully he's been shut down. Hopefully he comes oh, back. No. One All of the right. one of the other slightly interesting things as Dave comes back in here, farther on in the end of that meeting, um, Jay was complaining that she had a Jetsons photograph in her slides, <laughs> and she's like, "What? What oh, Jetsons no. picture?" And yeah, they've got you know just one of those little pictures of the car. They go do 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 boop 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 boop. Oh yeah, was yeah. was in one of her slides, and uh, Jay did funny. not like that that was in there. Oh goodness, Dave, you back, sir? We see him. I'm back. Can you hear me? Yep. Yes, yes we can hear you. Yeah, that was pretty comical. <laughs> timing, like timing, right was timing. Like, like literally, you left off with trying to to stake, and then all of a sudden gone. This <laughs> is just like, oh, Dave's been canceled. <laughs> there, there, there was also a knock on my door. Oh, that's funny. happily no. And I'm not taking the uh, the labels off my furniture. <laughs> so anyway, you were saying about the LA Department of Transportation that they uh, they are they raised the point of that the LA dot want um, sounded like first they said oh of course the FAA is uh, responsible for uh, authorization of the NAS the National Airspace, but would like you know some you know. Uh, collaboration with setting the regulations so uh, and then silver uh david silver jumped right on that point and said we cannot have a patchwork of regulations this is you know this would slow down innovation mm -hmm. so yeah alex i agree with you you that point is is critically important and i suspect that this is going to come up in the uh, in the dac tasking so we'll we'll see how uh, how this goes forward that's uh I think that's what I had about today's hack. Yeah, did anybody like else like... who who watched it have any comments or questions? Yeah, used to we used to be able to say that uh it moves at a, a glacial pace, but of course glaciers move uh pretty quickly <laughs> these days, so uh yeah. What do they call that? The uh the they work in a different time time frame. Yep. Oh, we could segue mm -hmm. into uh, what it looks like Josh has up here. Uh, a lot of the people at the beginning of the DAC were uh, were praising the head of the FAA. Who is... So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Steve Dixon uh, has announced that he is going to be uh, stepping down and stepping out as the FAA director. Um, and he is citing, uh, family reasons for leaving. Uh, this is supposed to be a, uh, five year term and he's stepping out after about two and a half years. Um, I also read another, uh, news report from Reuters, um, that state that he personally stated he was not asked to step, step down, um, by the white house or by, um, secretary Buttigieg, but, uh, in in fact, when he at, when he told them he was leaving, they asked him to stay on. So, um, this is uh, for him. I think it's just been it's been a, a rough couple of years. I'm sure with uh, the FAA dealing with he came on right after the the Max, uh, the Boeing Max, and he kind of had to rebuild uh, the reputation of the FAA after those incidents. Um, those were uh, resulted in uh, some 
costs and loss of life. And um, yeah, if anyone's not familiar with that, uh, there's a good documentary that just came out on Netflix about the Boeing Max and all kinds of stuff mm -hmm. related to it. Three three hundred and forty six people, I think it was. Yeah, something like that. And yeah. um, not only that, but uh, he kind of stepped into uh, the middle of remote ID and uh, a lot of other changes that were going on um, at the uh, FAA. So, um, and he took over after about a year and a half of only an acting director. Um, uh, FAA went, or acting administrator, I'm sorry. Uh, they went a long time without uh, somebody actually appointed to uh, there. So, yeah, it's also uh, interesting to me how long Jay Merkel has uh, been in his position. So yeah, I think he came in around 2016. So he's the executive director of the UAS Integration Office. So mm -hmm. I I think doing a good job and uh, definitely a thankless job. And it's uh, not not easy. But, Absolutely. Uh, well, yeah, that guy that guy gets a lot of gas. <laughs> So uh, it'll be interesting to see who uh, the next administrator will be. But um, for now, uh, you know, I think he, I, I mean, I've honestly, I didn't have a whole lot of great expectations when he, he was first announced. But to be honest, I don't, I think that there's been some changes uh, at the FAA in terms of interaction with, uh, like I asked Dave earlier, with the public and, and whatnot. So... I think it's it's he's done a good job so i don't have any complaints really um all right next we have uh drones are um they are utilizing drones in australia to plant sunflowers um so oh we're seeing a definite increase in uh, drone use for farming um we've seen uh couple different uh, companies, including DJI, release agriculture uh, drones over the last couple of years, including some new some new ones, uh, I think this year or, or, or late last year. Um, but uh, these ones are being used to plant entire fields of uh, sunflowers uh, for crops. Um, it says the unmanned aircraft distributes 45,000 seeds per hectare. Uh, with the aim of sprouting 30,000 plants. Um, it says the sunflower crop, to the best of our knowledge, is the first sun sunflower crop planted entirely by drone. So a big agricultural drone that we use commercially spreads the seeds. Uh, there's been some skepticism around it, saying that sunflowers require a certain amount of uh, spacing to grow correctly, um, and it's something that uh, they've had to kind of overcome. So yeah, it's I'm kind of surprised cool. that a flying drone they've decided is a reasonable choice versus a on the ground kind of drone instead. Well, I mean, flying definitely gets you more space quickly. I'm sure versus yeah, something you can drive ground. pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> the whole point, and they actually mentioned this in the article is it's got a, a lot less, um, soil disturbance and, um, whatnot so which could be uh good for are they testing this because uh they want to plant sunflowers or because they're planning on doing other things maybe that are more difficult to do with a tractor in the future oh well i would imagine it's both a test and uh for crop purposes so um it says uh it does reference it as an experiment uh, multiple times so um Let's see, it says the experiment is now in full bloom, drawing in tourists from all over to enjoy the photo opportunity and learn more about modern non-invasive farming practices. Um, it says using drones in modern farming is becoming a common practice more and more as the technology carries a lot of potential when it comes to saving the environment. Euro News, Euro News Green recently reported about the Australian startup AirSea Technology, which is fighting deforestation by utilizing drones and artificial intelligence. Um, so yeah, I mean, there was another, uh, I can't remember where it was, but it was probably a couple months ago where they're literally, uh, replanting entire countrysides of trees utilizing drones as well. So, uh, pretty cool. All right. Let's see. So the see. program is in full bloom and they're really digging in. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> nice uh, that's awesome. It does say right All there right. the experiment is now in full bloom. It sure does. 
All right, so this is an article in Forbes, and it's always fun to see uh, some of our hobby um, making mainstream nowadays and not in a bad way. The person there is looking at the floor. I know, right? <laughs> it's funny. We had this conversation the other night um, where I can't fly sitting down anymore. Like, I have to stand. And uh, Alex was saying when he practices, he stands. And then when he races, he sits. And Dave said, you sit, right, when you fly? Always. I'm, a, I'm an old guy. I fall over if I... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the, other, the other tip I got from my, my close friend who is a fighter pilot is keep your head up and don't be moving around, looking up, looking down. Mm -hmm. Keep your head stationary. And that helps with vertigo a lot. That's funny. Yeah, and I typically so sit, but that's because I'm sitting in my car trying to stay warm or stay away from the mosquitoes. <laughs> uh, you might get eaten out there, like for real. The, the one month of uh, of nice weather in Minnesota, then it's uh, and the mosquitoes <laughs> can carry you away. Yeah, there's a couple of weeks in the spring and a couple of weeks in the fall, and that's about it. That's funny. Uh, so uh, this is in regards to the Drone Racing League. Uh, they doubled their broadcasts thanks to growing global interest. This is a really long article that goes into a lot of uh, depth, uh, so I'm not going to beat it to death. But uh, Does it say how much viewership they have? Yes, it does. And it's, uh, let's see, we all know what the Drone Racing League is, hopefully. Um, I want to say it was 250. At the beginning where it said 250 million. Yeah, 250 like million. Let's see. Da, da, da. Did I miss it? Oh, here we go. Uh, DRL more than doubled its broadcast from last season, offering its high-speed drone races, drone racing to audience across six continents, with thirteen sport ne networks broadcasting into more than two hundred and fifty wow. million households I've, in one hundred and forty markets worldwide. I've not really watched it at all, but uh, gosh, it would be great if they could throw in some hints that oh, by the way, this isn't just a sport that's racing on TV. You can get into this and you can do it yourself. <laughs> I assume people yeah, know that, but just think if we had even a fraction of that 250 million actually starting into the hobby. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting too because uh, one of the um, uh, people I work with, um, she was asking me. She's like, "So my husband and I were were sitting eating pizza, and he was watching drone racing at the at the <laughs> pizza place." The funny He's thing. Like, Go ahead. Oh no! And she was like, "That—that's the kind of drones you—you you fly, right?" And I'm like, "Well, sorta, kinda, yeah." And she's just like, "He was really impressed by that. He wants to do that, you know." It was just—I <laughs> see, see one tease there saying they do have some how to get into the hobby little commercials between heats. Um, the the thing I With hear a lot is that that oh sure people seem to assume that drones are really expensive, and so they don't even look into what it would take to get started because it's like oh it's too expensive for me but it 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 isn't always that expensive for people to get started mm -mm, not at all um and even i mean it's even less so once you get started i mean once you get uh like you're in a radio exactly those are the expensive parts right um uh, and once you get there i mean you can you know continue for relatively cheap they're so yeah, or, you know, if you got one quad, it's just maintaining that one. You know, a $20, $20 motor here, uh, you know, $30 FC here, depending. Or if you're like Alex, you know, four motors and a flight controller all at the same time. Um, <laughs> so uh, the interesting thing that uh, they mentioned in the article here that I really caught my attention when I was reading it was that it's a, it's a low commitment uh, sport in terms of, you know, each heat, you don't have to wait long to see who, who's going to win. It's not like a football game where you're sitting there for two and a half hours, right? It's, it's low commitment. You can tune in for your favorite pilot, you know, less than a minute later, the race is done, you know, who won and you can move on. So it's, it's interesting in terms of that. Does that work for the sport or work against it? Yeah, I'm not sure, but it's, it's designed for today's TikTok attention span. Say, it makes for very good videos. <laughs> exactly, and it's that's funny how I too. I got into the hobby initially was I saw the drone racing videos and was like, "Well, that's really cool," and I got to looking into it. And when I first looked, mm -hmm. it was still kind of expensive. 
But yeah. then the last couple of years, it came down a whole lot. So then I jumped in, and that's how I started started flying. Absolutely, and and I'm the same way. So the first video I saw was an old professor of mine from college posted on Facebook. Um, I think Steele was the one flying, and it was a flight through the Miami Dolphins Stadium. Uh, it was like a test flight where they had the gate set up, and it wasn't a race. It was just more so showcasing the track, and um, that's that's when I got into it. I was just like, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. How do I do this? Um. Okay. When you talk about minimum commitment, I get it you know, from the con uh, consumer of the uh, media. One of the things that struck me was uh, an interview that uh, Joshua Bardwell had of uh, Min Chen, and mm -hmm. they asked him how he, how he practices. And he says, well, I, I practice about 100 to 150 packs a day. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Be sure you write Man. that down in your flight logs. And, uh... <laughs> nope. Oh, an AS ASR. An ASRS machine, you know, if there are any events, you know, make sure you uh, log those. Yep, every time you hit the Broken. ground, put them, yeah, send them to NASA. <laughs> Broken prop. Okay. Oh, this this slightly gets into a topic we skipped about the the AC meeting, and that was, Dave, you, you had the opportunity to expand on when they were asking about new business, and one of the things that was brought up was getting people started at, at the various levels of, F, of, of drones and aviation, right? Yeah, I'm I'm hopeful that that gets picked up by the FAA because we've um, we've done a good societal benefit piece of work on gender neutral. We've done a good societal benefit piece of work on K through 12, and then we all know anyone here I would imagine is asked by friends, family, as well as a myriad of questions in social media. How do we get started in this? How do I get started? And so it is both a commercial set of questions. How do I get started in thermography? How do I get started in inspection? How do I get started in videography? Could I you know, use my skills as a still photographer and, and expand? How do I get into this hobby? How do I get into racing? How do I get started? So I'm, I think that could be useful from a perspective of both the, the industry people as well as the various associations and help build uh, a lot more goodwill outward. So that was it was very nice of... Um, a chairman Houston Mill Mills of the uh, of the AC to uh, take that on, and uh, that was my suggestion. And then he uh, offered uh, uh, me a couple of seconds to expand in it, which is very gracious. Mm -hmm. All right, so um, I think that's about good for that. Um, this one is the FAA is pushing forward with its uh, tests on the UTM um for drone integration so it says in an announcement earlier this month the faa announced that they would be moving forward with drone integration and unmanned traffic management systems uh beginning this spring faa tests uh faa tests utm systems in the field utm systems are a critical piece of the full integration of commercial drones into airspace not one single piece of technology utm is a framework that will allow unmanned systems to operate safely in the same airspace with manned aircraft one of the one of the pieces of language that uh, stands out to me is they specifically call out commercial drones in this, um, as opposed to drones in general. Um, but uh, and that's one of the things that we've. I don't even. It looks like a drone with prop guy, guards uh, breaking. <laughs> yeah, that glass. that little yeah, image is. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it talks about. Get eyes and ears in places too dangerous to send a person. Is it dangerous because of the drones there, or or the glass? <laughs> the glass. <laughs> it really makes it look like there's a dangerous drone breaking glass, um, but I don't think that's what they're trying to do. Who knows? Uh, I I can't control the the gifs on uh, random websites, but uh, um, it says uh, from the FAA announcement, UTM includes a set of services that are complementary to but separate from air traffic management services for manned aircraft It's targeted towards small unmanned aircraft operations in airspace, generally flying below 400 feet and builds on current rules and capabilities that enable airspace access and authorization. Um, so UTM is something that uh, was brought up before the remote ID, but uh, kind of akin to remote ID in which, uh, the utilization of uh, unmanned traffic manage uh, unmanned aircraft system traffic management 
uh, systems would integrate and be able to uh, detail in live uh, fashion all the the UAS that are active in the airspace. Um, right. And one of the things they wanted to do was push that through network remote ID um, to uh, get that information from the air through your phone or, or, or smart device um, out to um, the different UTM providers and uh, so that they could detail exactly where everyone was. Um, but uh, in terms of capability uh, at the time and currently, I would still kind of suggest is that uh, the infrastructure doesn't exist to make that a reality in all the places where it would be required. So if somebody's out doing a rural photo shoot, has no signal, uh, which, yes, there are still places that have no signal, um, they wouldn't be able to take off. And it was a, a genuine concern, which is where we came up, where where we got uh, the uh, broadcast modules and uh, whatnot, as opposed to having to connect to a, uh, something with a network and, and send that information over the ether. So. Right. Um, UT, UTM and BV loss. Uh, well, let's see if I can not speak in uh, <laughs> abbreviations. Unmanned traffic management and beyond visual line of sight are the two areas that I would forecast are going to be the biggest regulation areas for in the next probably five to 15 years. And uh, we are involved in both, and uh, they're going to be really important to us because you, and just as uh, Josh was saying, you know, we worked hard. Uh, to try to say no to uh, network remote ID and the U the UTM folks really wanted network remote ID because that would make uh, UTM a lot easier. And there is a ton of money uh, behind UTM. So NASA's working on it. We're waiting for ConOps 3.0, a uh, big document on what's how's, how the uh, operation's supposed to work. And the FAA wants to make uh, unmanned traffic management completely farmed out to um, private organizations. So, and they are lining up right now. And if we don't get on it, uh, that's, this is happening uh, outside of the United States. So there are a number of uh, test beds uh, that are coming up and becoming operational. So we're going to uh, lag or follow the rest of the world uh, unless we get these regulations uh, out there. And I mean, by no means, guys, uh, are we saying that uh, broadcast or, or sorry, network remote ID is is not coming? Um, I I do believe that that is the ultimate plan for all of this, and um, but at the same time, it needs to not be a inhibitor of being able to fly. So, um, that's kind of. Uh, where it was going before in terms of the remote ID and PRM and, and being able to mitigate that through 53,000 comments um, was a, a big deal. So, all right. Uh, I think we got time for one more. Uh, so I will skip a couple of these. Uh, this is an interesting article. Um, this comes from LinkedIn and a company called SkyTech One. So, uh, Part of this is them uh, pushing their, their business. Um, but at the same time, it's an interesting article on how FPV can be used uh, for uh, to benefit business. Um, and they go, go through talking about their last article in which they introduced FPV videography. I don't think we need to go through that. But uh, one, the number one reason they state that their clients love FPV drones is that it has a unique and jaw-dropping experience that captures the audience's attention within the first few seconds. Um, perfect for lowering, lowering CPM or CPV. Um, and I think that's uh, it's like clicks per minute or something like that um, in terms of uh, people staying on websites or on their content. Um, I probably got that wrong. But uh, at any rate, um, our latest video with the New York Public Library used FPV to thread the needle in the treasures exhibit. Um, the uh, tariff 
I'm going to butcher this. Uh, Tara, digital production manager of the library, <laughs> and it's a great way <laughs> to get into spaces as we never thought we could have before. I like to think whoever has my job in 50 years will still be using that footage to showcase what the library looks like in 2021. Another added benefit of FPV drones is that they can showcase your space without numerous cuts, which allows the viewer to tour the space with more context and experience a one-of-a-kind smooth fluid feeling compared to a ground camera or traditional drone fpv videography may decrease shoot times editing times and the overall length of your final video um and they go through uh one of the 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 nomenclature that i'm going to take uh issue with is threading the needle i, I think most people call that hitting the gap or, or shooting the gap but hey everybody's got their thing um but it says uh the Basically, uh, they can shatter the conventional rules of videography. Um, FPV videography is renowned for flying through where no camera has gone before, flying through windows, gaps, and other openings. This is known as threading the needle, something very difficult to do with traditional cameras, but even at relatively fast speed, uh, FPV drones can safely perform immersive bank turns, multi-story dives, or thread the needle between the legs of a performer, all while giving you smooth footage, something unheard of even with traditional drones. So there's a, there's a neat aspect of this, which is there are videographers and still still photography uh, photographers coming into FPV, mm -hmm. and this is this is where we can help by being inclusive and helping them out. There's a group in uh, around Manhattan that are mostly videographers, and they've gotten into uh, flying drones, and the photography and the videos that they take is just stunning. So certain I. I've been shooting uh, still photography with 35 millimeter, then digital SLRs for over 50 years, and I am nothing in comparison to the photos that uh, these folks uh, produce. Just mm -hmm. you know, we can learn from them, and we can certainly help them with uh, FPV. And this is just you know there there are a number of different industries where this is happening. We're seeing skilled people come in, and they could really use some help on FPV and and we can help. Yeah, I've seen more Absolutely. and more really good versions of videos like this ever since that like bowling alley video went viral a while back. Mm -hmm. um, and especially that same company has done quite a few really good ones just like that. And yeah, they keep popping up all over the place. Well, and I would say, you know, even from within our own ranks, um, you got Johnny FPV. Who's, <laughs> Have you seen uh, his latest video today? No, I didn't. I got to check it out. But I mean, him working with... Uh, you know, Red Bull and uh, whatnot. Uh, he's been putting out some some amazing stuff, um, as well as uh, use of FPV in in you know feature length movies nowadays. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's getting more and more out there, and people are understanding what it's capable of. And <laughs> all these all these guys are are coming into the you know, not the, not just, it's hard to even call it the hobby anymore. It's, it's more yeah. like coming into the community, right? And, I mean, it's just growing and growing and growing. It, the so, only thing I don't like about watching Johnny FPV's videos is that, like, I want to be that. I want to be that good. <laughs> I want to make videos like that. And there's no chance I'm going to because I'm not going to be flying, like, a $4,000 camera. And it's just so darn impressive. His last well, video know, is I like mean, he's he's chasing is it multi um, moto GP or something like motorcycles going really yeah. fast and the video makes it look like he's inches away from these pilots with really really good quality camera. Yeah. Top speed top speed of moto GP is two hundred and five miles an hour in the straights. Oh my that's, goodness, that's fast. Well, and and also keep in mind, you know, you're not putting in the hundred and fifty packs like Minchan, right? So. <laughs> nope, not even close. So, uh, and they go through, uh, you know, I'm not going to, you know, go too much longer. I don't want to go over, but uh, they talk about when not to use FPV, when you should use FPV. And again, um, this has uh, got some definite interesting uh, articles going or ideas going on here. So I definitely recommend, uh, recommend it for a read. So. But at any rate, I think that's all I've got uh, this evening. There's no FPV in train. <laughs> you know, I would I would actually challenge that. I, don't I think that's that. possible. I think I think you and me, Alex, let's go do it. 
property is under a thousand square train. feet? I think uh, we should get Nurk first. What's that? I said we should get Nurk first. Ah, come on, we can do it. <laughs> we can do it. It's fine. Uh, the next thing honestly, you know, next week's under a thousand square feet. Next thing you know, next week someone will have a video flying a whoop or a Cinewhoop through a train from the very beginning to the very end, <laughs> and they'll have people opening the doors between the cars. And that's funny. All right, uh, Dan, you got anything for us this? No, this my evening? my focus was all on the the FAC meeting this week. <laughs> FAC. <laughs> oh, I love how that's become a thing. Alex, you got anything for us, sir? Um, not sure if people saw, but there was a drone light show on AGT a couple of nights ago. I can send the links in here. Pretty cool. It was, do it was done by Verge Arrow. They're based out of Philadelphia. And so they did a fairly simple show, but it was enough to convince a lot of people that drones are cool. All right. I'm going to have to watch that. That's cool. So, yeah, other than that, uh, and, nothing uh, else big, that. Big multi-GP race, right? That's, uh, uh, that's, a, that's a thing Oh, yeah, now. the Milwaukee one. That's uh, April late in the year. <laughs> late in the month <laughs> of April. <laughs> late in the month of April. I think 28 around then. Excellent. Two weeks after Mayhem, which is the first weekend of April. Yep. So, and then when is Rampage? Is that in May? Is May fourteenth, right? fifteenth. Get believe. your tickets now. And then we got, <laughs> and then we got Flight Fest coming up as well in June. So June. end of June. Yeah. So, lots of All good right. opportunities to get IO out. Also, in June, I believe. Get out, get back in the in the community, meet your friends, all that good stuff. Get some flights in. So, um, all right. Uh, anybody else have any? Uh, oh yeah, any that's right. Questions, thing. comments. Oh, what do you got, Alex? The global qualifier track design contest. The top nine tracks have been released. Uh, they're on Velocidrome for people to try out, and you okay. can vote for your favorite one on MultiGP and. The voting closes Friday, so test the tracks, pick which one you like, and put your vote in. And then we'll have our global qualifier track for this season. Nice, nice. All right, so uh, uh, anybody else have anything? Dave, do you have any updates on the uh, ASTM for remote ID stuff? I, people seem to ask that question quite a bit. Like, when, <laughs> when is there going to be a standard for this? When are remote ID modules going to be available? Mm, yeah. Good, good question. Um, yeah, the some balloting is uh, in process, and so that started several weeks ago. So early March, uh, will we should be uh, as as they would say in Texas, God willing and the creek don't rise. Um, and the process is you go through a ballot. If someone votes no, then you have to stop and resolve their issue. And so we've been through balloting once. We hope that we uh, get all uh, positive uh, votes. Uh, then early March, the ASTM document, that's an updated standard to the uh, F-34, or it's the remote ID updated standard. That'll go to the FAA. We hope that the FAA quickly approves it. That will become a means of compliance, and that is for both the standard and broadcast standard remote ID, as well as the broadcast module. And then a manufacturer would only need to complete a declaration of uh, compliance, which would save them about a year worth of uh, energy. Well, that's good because they don't have a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the stand the uh, um, the the standard remote ID has to be incorporated uh, by September 2022 this year, and uh, so uh, we do know that the major manufacturers were trying to figure out how to get that done with uh, software updates only. Um, that may may or may not be new models, um, and certainly we've got till September 2023 for broadcast modules when we have to as the operators we have to comply with a remote id by that date 
Absolutely right. Yeah, this is getting very. This we had it's down to the wire at this point. We wanted to have the the standard out to the FAA back in August, and here we are coming up in March. So yeah, it's as late. Well, hopefully, uh, people can implement that quickly um, to get with the uh, get with the standard remote ID. Yes, I hate to see that hamper the industry. So. All right. Well, I'm going to let everybody go unless anybody's got any questions, comments, concerns, ideas. All right. Well, with that, uh, we'll go ahead and wish you all a good, good night and have a great upcoming weekend. Hopefully it's uh, warm enough to get out and fly for, for a lot of you folks. So hopefully see you all again um, in two weeks. Absolutely. We'll talk at you later. Have a great night. Thank you. Have a good evening.